Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and today I'm so delighted as part of the ongoing sleep series to have my dear friend and colleague, Sarah Mason, who is an Aware Parenting Instructor and a mother of a nearly three-year-old. So welcome, welcome, lovely Sarah. Thank you so much, Marion. I'm so delighted to be here. I just want to share that I have so much respect for you and everything that you're contributing to Aware Parenting Uh, the whole journey that I've been on with you over these last couple of years has just been so transformative for me. So I just want to share my deepest gratitude for you and all that you do. Oh, thank you. Lovely. I feel really, really touched hearing that. And I just love our work together and the conversations that we've had over the past couple of years and the way that you really dive in deep to aware parenting and articulate things so clearly. And we've had so many fascinating conversations. So I'm just so delighted that many other people are going to get to hear what you have to say about aware parenting and sleep in particular today. So yay, I'm so glad that we're doing this. (laughs) Yay, me too. Thanks, Mary. So I wonder if you want to start with your own journey with sleep and aware parenting. I think it's such a helpful story for people to hear. Yeah, I'd love to share my story. And mm, where to begin? Maybe I'll take it back to right at the beginning from birth. Elsie was born. We attempted a home birth and we ended up in hospital and under an epidural. So Elsie didn't cry for the first 24 hours. And then on day two, that's when her crying began. And it was lots of crying from day two. (laughs) So from those early weeks, it was quite a challenging time for me, especially because there was a lot of crying and a lot of uncertainty around what to do and how to support her. And in those early weeks, I would be doing cluster feeding, which is the breastfeeding from about 4pm in the afternoon to about 11pm at night. And However, for about a week, it kind of stopped working. (laughs) The whole experience of when I was doing that, there was a part of me that didn't feel that this was really supporting her. And so after about a week, it was really not supporting her. She was really agitated when she was feeding and coming on and off. And I had kind of got a little bit of frustration. I said, oh, Dean, can you help out my partner, Dean, who was amazing during the time? And he took Elsie, held her while she cried, And he went out of the bedroom and I got some sleep. And so in those early weeks, this was kind of a little bit of a pattern for us. I'd cluster feed for a few hours and I'd get to a point where I was like, oh, there's no way she's still hungry. And Dean would step in, hold her, and there was nothing he could do. You know, he was trying walking up and down the hallway and sitting on the football. And I remember actually there was one time we had sit next to the dishwasher and he was so convinced that the dishwasher sound was helping to soothe her but so he we would do this for the first few weeks almost every night and surprisingly enough however the one thing that I want to note during that time is she was actually sleeping really well so after that first week she would cry with him for about two to three hours and then he'd bring her back when she finished crying and fallen asleep and pop her in the bed with me and she'd sleep for seven or eight hours And this is the early, early days, which I kind of look back now and go, well, kind of uh, demystifies, is that the right word? The myth that babies don't know how to sleep. So that was our really early days. And it was quite similar for us through many days beyond that, all through, there was a lot of times where nothing would support Elsie to stop 
the crying, no amount of feeding, no amount of jiggling or rocking. So I was left in a place where I had nothing else to do. So I was just holding her, which was extremely painful and exhausting for me. And really, I was in a place of so much vulnerability because something didn't seem right. I didn't understand why she was crying so much. This idea of colic, that babies cry for no apparent reason, it just didn't resonate with me at all. I remember also at one stage trying, oh, we had so many beautiful, well-meaning friends and family give me all these different ideas and ways to support her. And there was the dummy, which we tried it after about six weeks. We decided to introduce the dummy to help with the crying and a little piece of information I must have picked up somewhere in all the books that I was reading to try and figure out how to support her was not to give a baby a dummy whilst she was crying. And I thought that it was quite an interesting piece. So we played around with that with the dummy. And this is in the early weeks. And I'd hold her in my arms and then I'd give her the dummy and she'd suck on it for a while, but then she'd spit it out a few times and then she'd start crying. And so I was like, oh, okay, so I, this is, I'll just wait for her to stop crying. And it wasn't a pleasurable experience for me to hold her while she's crying. And then I placed the dummy back in for her to fall asleep. So clearly this was all before you knew anything about aware parenting and before you understood what was happening, why she was crying for these times. So even though there were times like all those times that Dean listened and the times you were holding her in arms, I imagine there was still, you felt uncomfortable because you didn't understand the reason for it. And so I imagine you might have wondered what on earth's going on or is this some unmet need or all of those kinds of things perhaps going oh, through mind. Yeah, exactly, Marion. That, that was everything that was going on. I was feeling so confused. I felt like I was missing something. I felt a little like I wasn't meeting all of her needs. I was really missing something, but I knew that she was physically safe and she was physically okay. So we, I, I was just trying everything that I possibly could to support her. But after a couple of weeks, I noticed that she started to suck quite vigorously on the dummy. So rather than spitting it out as much as she used to, it was almost like she was starting to accept the dummy and she would suck really vigorously. And that was the point where I said, I was like, oh, no, something's not right here. I want to get rid of this. So I knew that intuitively that that wasn't what was supporting her. So we got rid of that and on to the next thing, trying to support her. However, this part of my story is a really difficult part of me, the story to share because I had a lot of people in my life, you know, Elsie would not sleep unless she was on me. So I wasn't able to put her down on a bed to sleep. It was always either laying right next to me or on my chest. And I had a lot of friends and family who were like, you need to allow her to go to sleep on her own. And so I was like, how do I do this? You know, how do I do this in a way that feels supportive and loving for her? And I found a book and there was three options in the book, but they were all, one was like, get it done now, get it quick one was a little bit more supportive the get it done now get it quick was the proper put them down walk out leave them to cry the second was a little bit more intermittent crying and then the one that I started to use was the one where you stayed with them and you place them on you place the baby on the bed and pick them up when they cry and so you'd hold them until they finished crying and then you put them down again and then you'd pick them up again and then you'd put them down and so this is what I did and it took a long time <laughs> to put her to bed. It took a long time. It would take over an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And I think that 
each time I put her down, she would cry again. So I'm constantly in that state and it was exhausting. This is when I got to a place of just so much exhaustion and vulnerability that I just didn't know how to help her that I Googled a sleep consultant, found one here in the eastern suburbs in Sydney. And I want to say that she's an absolutely beautiful woman, has a lot of five stars. And so we invited her into our home and she came and sat down with us for about three or four hours and observed our baby, Elsie. And she stayed with us while I put Elsie down for a nap. And she instructed me to put her down and walk out. And I did it. However, Elsie fell asleep within about 20 seconds of me walking out of the room. And so I was like, oh, well, that was easy. There was a part of me that was like, oh, I'll be sure this is okay. There was that part of me that just wasn't sure that what we were doing was okay. It was at this time when Elsie found her thumb and she began thumb sucking. And this was around, just to give you a little bit of a timeline, this was actually around four and a half months so she was very young still and we continued this practice where we would put it down on the bed and we'd walk out and if she would cry I'd go back into the room and I would do the holding her until she'd stop crying and then I'd put her back down again but I'd put her back down awake and then walk out of the room and it was a deeply deeply I look back on that experience And I remember we had a baby monitor, like I'm even shifting into tears now. We had a baby monitor and I'd be looking at that baby monitor just going, just please find your thumb, you know, like I really wanted her to sleep. But we didn't leave her to cry and I'm grateful that I didn't, but I also totally understand for those who, you know, who do. And so we tried this for a month and then all of a sudden we found a way of parenting. So beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, a beautiful, beautiful friend of mine who I was doing a woman's circle with postpartum. She had read the book. Actually, I'm going to shout out to you, Elaine. Thank you so much, beautiful Elaine. <laughs> she shared with me the book and I read it. And it was the first time after maybe 20 or more books that I had read, everything from really big controlled crying all the way down to breastfeed for everything. This was the first time where I read a book and every element just completely resonated with me. Amazing. So so that was The Aware Baby by Alita Salter. Sorry, yes, that's The Aware Baby by Alita Salter, yes. Yeah. And that was the moment where I stopped walking out of the room. However, we hadn't started listening to feelings at bedtimes yet, so there was a lot of just holding and and a lot of thumb sucking at the time. And the first time I listened to her cry was actually during the day. I found that my journey with listening to feelings to support her was during the day. And I, the first time I ever did it, I placed her on my knees. I was sitting on the floor and she was so young. She wasn't crawling at the stage. So, and I just held her and she had a big, beautiful release. And it was the most profound experience I'd ever experienced. Do you want to share more about what was so profound about it for you? The intensity that I was experiencing in the moment when she was crying, it was like I could feel her feelings at the same time. And I'm imagining there was a lot of my own feelings in there too, of all the times that I wasn't listened to. But when she 
came out the other side and it would have gone on for maybe half an hour or so. I can't recall the exact time, but it was it was a, a good chunk of time. The moment I saw her whole body relax, my whole body relaxed. It was like I had also released all of those feelings as well. And I think that was the most profound moment. So hmm. Mm, I love that so much and such that palpable experience of that deep relaxing, seeing and feeling in your body, feeling her muscles relax and then feeling that same experience yourself. And I want to say I really resonate with that. When I was listening to my baby's crying in arms, I really had that sense as well that in a way I was also listening to my little baby self and that I was also then feeling that same quality of relaxation, having felt those feelings. It's very powerful, isn't it, what happens? Oh, it's so powerful. And I think from that first time to the many, many times after that, it becomes even more, it's like another layer and a little bit deeper. And it's just, but that first time, I think the first time that sticks with you, <laughs> stays with me, that imprint. <laughs> yeah, so powerful, isn't it? I can remember that exactly the same, like 21 years ago, I can still remember that first experience with my daughter. So yeah, I'm so with you. Do you want to share more about what happened after that once you started listening to her feelings and sleep and what happened then? Oh, yes. I'd love to also share just a little bit back in time when Elsie was younger. You know, there was a lot of crying that we were listening to inadvertently with Elsie, as I sort of mentioned, and we were experiencing her sleeping quite well overnight with about seven or eight hours sleep a chunk. Then when we had the sleep consultant come, we, I noticed a quite significant decline in her sleep. She started waking up 45 minutes after she'd first fall asleep and then every two hours thereafter. And I was breastfeeding for every wake up during that time, which is exhausting. It's really exhausting. Yeah. Oh, my heart goes out to you, sweetheart. So it's a lot, isn't it? And for any mother who's listening, who's going through something similar, it's very, very common, isn't it? Either every two hours or every 45 minutes, every sleep cycle. It's, yeah, it's just so, so common. So, so much love to you, that you back then. Thank you. And so then we started listening. After our first listening, we started listening. And I listened a lot more during the day. Elsie was still thumb sucking at this time. And I was listening as much as I could during the days. And we noticed her sleep starting to shift. However, she was still using a thumb to fall asleep at night. And it took maybe about two weeks to notice the shift in her sleep. You know, like the 45-minute wake-ups first dropped, but we're still getting every two hours. And then at about two weeks after starting to do the listening process, she started to sleep in longer chunks. And she was still waking up maybe around two times a night, two or three times a night up until she was about six months. And so this is not too bad. We actually did start listening at bedtimes. So we got to a place where all of the listening that I was doing during the day, uh, I think really supported both my confidence in supporting her to listen, but also the safety and the trust that Elsie was building that her feelings were going to be heard. And so bedtimes she was able to release at bed. And so we were starting to see a greater shift. It was really when we started listening at bedtime that we actually saw the shifts in our sleep. 
So I'm hearing you say once you start, you were listening to feelings, so you come across a way of parenting, it resonated, you started listening in the day and you were already noticing a bit of a difference with her sleep. And then, but it was once you started listening before bed that you really saw much more of a significant difference. So of course, from an aware parenting perspective, we understand that that's what babies and children naturally do. They have their feelings bubble up when they're tired, they're less able to repress them. And we would see that in aware parenting that that's part of that natural healing response, which actually the moment I'm calling the relaxation response to actually release feelings to heal from stress and trauma. And so did you notice then that her thumb sucking to sleep around about that time was shifting as well? Yeah, so at around the time when we started to listen to, and when I say we, I want to also say that both Dean and I were doing listening. I was doing the majority of listening. So my partner, Dean, he was also listening to feelings too, which was really, really supportive at the time. And actually most bedtimes, we would both be sitting on the bed and both be listening. And the thumb sucking was still there. However, we were able to move between thumb sucking and crying and thumb sucking and crying. So it wasn't completely gone, but it was shifting. And so around that six month mark, she was waking up mostly about two times a night and either she would thumb suck back to sleep or I would breastfeed back to sleep. Uh, So we come quite a far away just in a short space of time from going from waking up 45 minutes and then every two hours to now only waking up twice in the night, which I think was quite a significant shift. Around this time, we actually went camping. And I just want to share the story of how big this is for me because we went camping and because I was so new in my journey of aware parenting and listening to feelings, I became so nervous about being camping and other people hearing my baby cry, I was just concerned, like, what are they going to think? You know, why is this mother not tending to her baby? Yes, so yeah, and I, I want to share as well, over the years, I've spoken to so many mothers who've had the same thing, like they go camping and it's a big thing, isn't it, to do that, especially when it's quite a new process. Mm, it is. And, you know, still coming to a comfort, a confidence and a comfort within myself in the safety of my home. And then all of a sudden we're out in public. So I chose to breastfeed to sleep. So we did that and I breastfeeded. So for the first night we'd had our normal two wake-ups and then the next night we had three wake-ups and then the night after that we had four wake-ups. And then by the time we got home, I chose not to breastfeed to sleep. However, the night we got home, it was very challenging to have a release. And so her thumb came back quite strong. Interesting, isn't it? It's almost like I know it wasn't an experiment, but as you reflect back on it to actually see, and that's why I love all the clarity in which you're explaining, expressing each step. And I know you're passionate about observation as I am to really, as a parent, to be seeing so clearly the correlation between what happens in the daytime and particularly in the evening and then what happens with sleep. It's such a clear reflection, isn't it? It really is. And I think that was a pivotal moment for me in that observation of seeing the effects for my own eyes within my daughter of what happens when I do breastfeed her to sleep and we miss that window of opportunity that was the last time I did ever breastfeed my daughter to sleep oh is that true it is 100% true so so clearly that really was like a defining moment to go something like I'm not willing to do that again or is that what you came to in yourself it was what I came to within myself as I could see the effects that it was having on Elsie 
And I knew that it wasn't supportive of her. And especially because Elsie's willingness to go back into crying so easily had sort of diminished a little bit. And I really wanted to support her to cry when she needed to. So I want to fast forward a little bit. It was a a big journey from then until about 10 months. Again, we had quite a few wake-ups and, you know, we shifted a little bit to back to a couple of nights with us, three or four wake-ups. And it was a challenging time trying to navigate this new practice of listening to feelings and supporting her. But at 10 months age, I was back home in New Zealand. I'm originally from there and I was visiting family and both Dean and I and Elsie had gone. And Dean and I had spoken about it and we said, right, we don't have to do any of anything other than support Elsie. <laughs> and so we committed together for the two weeks that we were there that we would listen to as many feelings as we possibly could. And we did between the two of us. And for two weeks, we listened and listened. And it was a lot of crying. By the end of the two weeks, Elsie had stopped falling asleep with her thumb. Wow. Um, I know. But by the way, I want to say, like, when you were sharing that, I had full body tingles that you were, like, I feel really touched, actually touched your tears, that you were willing, both of you, to devote that time and just to say that we're going to really prioritise listening to her feelings and supporting her with that catching up from some of those feelings that she'd repressed at an early age. And that yeah, even though you were going, you know, you could have had a holiday and <laughs> but actually that's what you chose to do. And I just really want to acknowledge you and celebrate both of you and your willingness and to do that for her. So, so, so yummy. Mm, thank you, Marion. Yeah, it was a big commitment to do. And I'm grateful that I did do that and spend that time and with the thumb sucking and we were down to one wake up at night and thankfully when we came home after the trip we made, were able to maintain that and then within about a month she started sleeping through the night so about about, about 12 months of really supporting her she was able to sleep through the night which was we were like yay <laughs> but also just really celebrating how far we'd come and and how magical this journey was of how connected Elsie was you know there were so many other benefits not just that she was sleeping through the night daytimes were so much more connected we were enjoying our time together so much more and it was beautiful um, I love that. I'd love to actually invite you mm. to say more as well because I often talk about sleep being like an emotional actually a physiological barometer that it's really and although that's what brings many people to aware parenting of course as we know it's just it's more like a symptom of, of what's actually going on in a baby's body in terms of the stress and tension and feelings they have so what I like seeing it is as an invitation and not only in seeing the sleep change but actually the profound ways that it affects a baby not only in terms of how they feel in the here and now but also their long-term emotional development and how many feelings they've got accumulated in the bodies how much unhealed stress and trauma they have the ways that they relate if they go on to become a parent how they will then relate to their own baby it's such a profound thing isn't it that although that sleep is often of course the priority because as adults, we so desperately need sleep that actually the, all the other things that show up as a result are so profound, aren't they? So I wonder, because again, I know you love observation, would you be willing to share with the listeners the other things that you noticed as well that had shifted after listening to all those feelings of hers? 
Yeah, of course. So uh, gosh, there's so many, it was more connected and more calm and more aware. One thing that I really, really noticed through my own observations is, you know, as I look back over the whole journey and I see in those really early weeks when Elsie was sharing her feelings. You know, At the beginning, before you knew about aware parenting, but before, nothing else seemed to work, that Dean was listening and you were doing some listening as well. Yeah, yeah, there was inadvertently, yeah, it was that time. So my observation, like the whole overall, if I look at it all, if I look back in time, I see how right in those early weeks where nothing would support her to stop the crying, that we were left with just listening. And so when we were doing that, before we got the sleep consultant in, it's almost like a before the sleep consultant and then after the sleep consultant, what I noticed was that she was sleeping relatively okay at night. The moment we shifted things and we got the sleep consultant in, the feelings really started to accumulate a lot. And it was probably really, really stressful experience for her when I'd walk out of the room. Gosh, I just wanted to share that I remember that I had a belief and I think about this belief now as it was quite painful that to look a baby in the eye when they're falling to sleep will stop them from falling asleep. And it's beyond me that I think that now, like, of course, that's not true. Now it's the absolute opposite and babies need us to look at them in the eyes to fall asleep. So all of those times when I wasn't there with her and wasn't supporting her in the way that she needed with that connection and love was creating such a stressful environment for her and her sleep really suffered. And I can see that then through that journey, the more we listened, the more connected she was to her body, the more eye contact I was giving her, the more connected to her I was, the more aware she was during the day, the more calm she was then we got to a place of listening to all the feelings well, not all the feelings but we caught up on all of those feelings and her sleep improved again and so that was my way of knowing that yes listening to feelings is such a powerful way to not only support our children to sleep but also to stay so deeply connected with us and so deeply connected with themselves and have all that beautiful eye contact and calm in their bodies and engaging in the world around them. At a time when we had supported Elsie to listen to all the feelings around her thumb and we moved through her thumb sucking control pattern, there was a few things I noticed as well, which was constipation that she had. So she used to only do her poos about once a week and then that shifted to it almost every day and so that was one beautiful thing her willingness to move within the same week of her shifting her thumb she started to move and started to crawl and started to walk and all of these things it was like she was more connected with her body and she was starting to move more and it was just it was a beautiful beautiful time I don't know if that's connected. Is that connected? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love hearing all of those. And to me, what you talk about, is, of course, one of the reasons, and I'm sure that's why Aletha called it aware parenting and the aware baby is that quality of presence that happens when we listen to more of a baby's feelings. And as you talk about Elsie and that presence and that awareness and that connection, that eye contact, 
And I think to me, that's often one of the two most significant things I see with babies who do have their feelings listened to in this way is that quality of presence. You have a beautiful yoga background. It's almost like if you're in meditation or you go to a retreat or something, it has that quality of presence that they bring to the room. It's completely different. And I talk a lot about the difference between relaxation and dissociation and I think in our culture that most people don't understand how to see if a baby's actually truly relaxed or if they're mildly dissociated and of course most of those things we're told to do to babies actually help them dissociate from their feelings to go to sleep rather than actually feel deeply relaxed so I think that's such a core element isn't it that quality of presence and what a beautiful gift it is because it's how it's being human, isn't it? And the other one, of course, being the physical tension, so often a sign of the dissociation and that beautiful relaxation that you talk about. And again, and with the, her pooing every day rather than once a week. And again, I've spoken to many parents over the years who've, who've talked about that because, again, if they're holding in feelings, they need to do a lot of tensing up muscles if they're holding in that fight flight response there's a lot of tension and it usually does affect digestion including pooing so it's so clear isn't it these really observable effects and really the difference between true relaxation true presence and mild dissociation which is what we're really trained to do in this culture with babies and then to be surprised when perhaps we don't feel so connected with them or I hear people talking about finding babies boring and I think it's an obvious side effect if we're helping them dissociate a lot of the time Uh, one of the functions of dissociation isn't it it's like so that the predator (laughs) thinks that we're dead basically if we're dissociated we're in that freeze response so we're designed to be not interesting when we're dissociated. So I just think that's such a different quality when a baby has expressed quite a lot of feelings, that presence, that engagement, that connection, which makes everything different, doesn't it, to, be, to feel that deep connection with our baby. So I love all the things that you said. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share about the next step in the journey? Yes. So, so what happened next at 12 months? Elsie started sleeping through the night. However, a few months later, she started waking up again. And so this time she was waking up at around four or five in the morning. And so at that time in the morning, I was so tired. So I would breastfeed. However, I realized that maybe this was a little bit of the next step in my journey with supporting Elsie, but really supporting myself and noticing all the ways in which maybe Elsie was either learning to suppress her feelings or I was inadvertently suppressing her feelings during the day. So this is where I began working on the the breastfeeding as a control pattern with Elsie and really connecting with what my needs were for breastfeeding as well. And so as I sort of started to do that and I really supported doing a lot of observation, it was so much observation of Elsie when she was asking for the boob, how long she was staying on for, and how was her body? Was she giving me eye contact? All those beautiful things that give us the indication of whether or not it could be feelings. And I must admit, it was challenging. It was challenging to identify the difference between a true need for food and a need for feelings. However, after a little bit of observation, it became very clear. So I think it just takes a little bit of observation and and we find our way. And So I started supporting her a lot of that through the day. And I also got to a place of willingness to listen at that time in the morning. And um, I actually remember uh, I would say the phrase to her, 
sweetheart, should I say mummy booby? And I would say, sweetheart, I wonder if you want to connect him with your body. And the moment I would say those words, the, the burst of, of tears would flow. Oh, I so love it was, so much. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, it's in these moments, it's just holding a little bit of a space for that release to come and not, I think sometimes too, it's actually quite nice not to go straight into a, I'm not willing. <laughs> so we can, we can play with these things a little, you know? So I love the languaging of that. And it really did support her to be able to release those feelings. And yeah, we moved through that. And I'm going to make a little Marian method segue because you've done a lot of Marian method work, of course. And I'm thinking about love and will. So love being that just really that loving presence of inviting her to connect in with herself before that you didn't often even need to connect with the not willingness to feed her, but actually that love that she felt that and that was enough to help her connect with her feelings. I, I know that's not a web but I really I just wanted to offer that little point. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah, thank you. I And yeah, I love that, Marion. So then within the breastfeeding journey did take a while to work through and move through, especially during the day. But again, by about 18 months, I remember we were sleeping through the night again. And then by 20 months, Elsie actually dropped her nap. She just didn't need it. And it was quite a smooth transition for us. I realized too, however, though, that when we did drop her nap, the feelings that I was listening to before the nap were needed to be listened to because by the time we got to bedtime, it wasn't enough just to listen to bedtime feelings. So there was a bit about a week of really transitioning from the one nap to no nap and creating more space during the day to listen to the feelings. And I also think possibly that the nap in itself, I get a sense, and I'm not sure the theory on this, but from my experience, I get a sense that the nap in itself was stopping some of the feelings from being expressed. So when we did drop that nap, there was a little bit of catching up to do. And so it took about a week for us to really, and we did have a lot of wake-ups actually through the night during that time, just to preface that. So if anyone else is going through that, when they drop a nap, I encourage you to keep going through it because it does come out the other side if you're willing to listen. And she started sleeping through and she was doing from 20 months, about 12 and a half to 13 hours consolidated sleep every night. And so I say that from a place of, you know, the bigness of the journey, but that it is possible to get to that. And it is possible that our babies can sleep through the night and consolidate their sleep. Yes. And you know, I really love to say is that both of those things you said, the dropping of the nap that in inverted commas earlier than often is seen as apt, you know, in aware parenting, I've seen that often as well. And my children also dropped their daytime nap before they were two as well. And I also have found that too, quite often that it's a paradox, isn't it? Sometimes sleeping is hard for babies and children if they've got lots of agitated feelings or uncomfortable feelings in their bodies but sleep also can be a way of dissociating from feelings and of course if we think about the spectrum of dissociation that can be from very mild to just kind of gazing around with a little bit of a starey look on their eyes to for an adult that might be fainting for example or going to sleep and often new babies well actually if we're out and about in a busy environment and particularly if they're being carried, if they're feeling overwhelmed, they will actually go to sleep to dissociate, to protect themselves from overstimulation. So it's kind of a really interesting thing, isn't it, to add in that sleep actually can sometimes be a way to 
repressed feelings and often when babies toddlers do drop that daytime nap it does actually support a lot more feelings to come out and be expressed and particularly when they get tired so it's often a a really big opportunity to catch up on some extra listening as well I really wanted to offer those as well I really resonate with those two yeah, I, I really love that you shared that, Marion, because I also really, I did observe even, I wanted to share that even when we had dropped her nap, I would notice that, you know, every so often she would fall asleep. And most of the time it was actually in the car. And I noticed very clearly that feelings were always associated when she would fall asleep during the day. And so really supporting her either before catching her before this, before she fell asleep in the car. I remember many times driving in the car and go, oh, we're getting close. And I would pull the car over, come sit in the back seat and I would sit with her and I would listen to her feelings. And most times she would cry and release her feelings and then be awake. And then we'd carry on with the day. Which so, is so funny, isn't it? Because so many parents who are like desperately doing everything they can to get their baby to sleep. We're going, hang on, actually, sometimes <laughs> the feelings means that they don't actually need to sleep as much. Although they sleep, I had a very similar effect in terms of that 12, 13 hours at night, beautiful, sound, restful sleep, but actually not needing, yeah, that sometimes sleep can be a way to dissociate for some babies and children. So funny, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's funny that just around sleep in general, I remember before she dropped her sleep, the beliefs that we hold, you know, I think you you mentioned before as well around where it's an quote unquote early time to to drop a nap. And I was, I had those thoughts in my mind. I was like, I could tell that she wasn't really that tired during the day. And it was almost as if I was, okay, it's time now. <laughs> it's your time now for a nap. And if we don't nap now, then you won't go down to bed at a certain time. And all of those beliefs were playing around in my mind. And I remember, I think it was having a conversation with you, Marion, and you're like, why don't you just not put it down for a nap? <laughs> well, you didn't. You actually wouldn't say those words, but, <laughs> um, and we did that and it suited her. So I think sometimes there is so much belief that we hold around sleep Uh, And again, you touched on it so beautifully that within aware parenting, it's not about getting our children to sleep. It's about supporting the relaxation process. And that means listening to feelings and catching that before they fall asleep supports them to be able to have that restful, relaxed sleep and, and typically quite a deep sleep. And I do remember if I didn't catch those feelings before she fell asleep and she did fall asleep in the car, I would notice the moment we would wake up And it would always be a very short sleep, but the moment we wake up, they all came out. So that was why it was such a clear indicator for me. So our time's just about up for today. I've so enjoyed this and just love talking with you, Sarah, as you know. So I'd love to hear, I'd love to ask you in terms of mothers or parents listening who perhaps are having challenges with their baby and sleeping is there anything that you would like to offer them or to say to them having been through such a beautiful like so many different nuances and elements of your journey with Elsie's a baby and sleep is there anything that you'd like to say to them Mm. I firstly want to send all the beautiful listeners and mothers who are listening so much love and compassion for the journey that you're on and our baby's sleep can be really really challenging And I want to also say that the journey in itself isn't a linear journey. There isn't a quick way to move through this journey. 
And one of the greatest things that I want to say from my own journey is receiving the support, working with someone who can really support you to connect in with your own feelings. So I think through this whole journey, I've realized being present for Elsie and supporting her is really more about how do I support myself? And so I invite mothers and parents and anyone out there who's working with beautiful children to find ways to support yourself. So as your cup is filled, to be able to then offer the presence to your children to have their feelings heard. Mm, So beautiful, isn't it? And often that takes a while to realize, doesn't it, for us to go, oh, it isn't just all about my baby and their feelings it's actually about how can I be present with my feelings and my needs so that I can be with my baby such a big journey oh so lovely thank you so much I've so enjoyed talking with you Sarah thank you so much for coming on today and so looking forward to talking to you another time about toddlers and we can go into depth in that but in the meanwhile if people want to come and find out more about you and about your work and what you offer to families would you be willing to share a bit more about that so that they can Thank you so much, Marion. I'd absolutely, I'd love to. And so people can find me on Instagram at awaremum, also at my website, which is awaremum.com.au. So I am currently living in Sydney in the eastern suburbs. So if you're local and in the area and practicing aware parenting, or you're completely new to aware parenting and want to learn more about it, We do a monthly, actually a twice monthly meetup with beautiful moms and their bubs in the local area. So you're welcome to come and join us through that. I also host Mother Circles where we all come together and support one another and listen to each other's feelings and receive lots of loving empathy and compassion. I also have some offerings where I support mothers in one-to-one sessions and I do single sessions as well as I have a three-month mentoring option for that as well. I'm really passionate about supporting parents from conception all the way through to three years of age with all of the aspects of aware parenting. And especially if you're looking for supporting your baby to sleep and having nourishing sleep for yourself. That's it. Yeah, I so highly recommend your beautiful work and so love what you're doing in the world. And this has just been so, so yummy. So, so yummy. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to part two and just thank you so much for coming and being here and talking all all about these things in such depth I think the depth and the really clear examples of really specific things I think is so helpful to to really hear I think it's so easy often isn't to say oh you know babies have feelings but yeah but what does that look like and what's the process and to really see often there is a an ongoing process and it isn't linear as you say so thank you so much for coming on and I so look forward to talking next time Uh, thank you so much Marianne it's been an absolute pleasure I so look forward to talking to you again soon yay so much love to you Sarah and so much love to you listeners and talk to you next time